0: Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to the weekly episode of Beyond the Pitch. I'm your host, as always, Phil Brown, joined with the fantastic Zach Louie here. Of course, Zach's been on a number of times. You can find Zach um, on Twitter. We always, uh, you can actually find his profile, the link to his Twitter uh, profile at the head of Beyond the Pitch. He also has Break Breaking the Lines (BTL), which is a fantastic. Uh, account you should follow It's such fantastic content so it's always good to have more it's lots to talk about today we're going to talk about champions League, you're going to talk about uh, Bayern Munich we'll talk about PSG and a few other things so Zach how you doing mate good to have you
1: great to be on thanks so much for having me uh, again super excited to be back on Beyond the Pitch one of my favorite podcasts uh, to come on because you know you do get to touch up on a diverse range of subjects uh, so yeah super excited for our discussion today well
0: May a part of the team, so it's always great to have you here. Um, first of all, I want to start with um, Bayern Munich because Bayern Munich at the weekend won their 10th league title in a row. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann, 34 years of age, obviously heavily criticised after going out in the Champions League to Um, But 10 league titles, yeah. I've got two questions here. Yeah. What does that say about the Bundesliga? And if you're a Bayern Munich fan, how do you get excited about your tenth league title in a row?
1: Yeah, I mean it is hard. Obviously, I'm not a Bayern fan, but I'd imagine it is hard. And something similar to uh, Paris Saint Germain. I mean, if you if you watched uh, both both teams winning the league yeah. title as usual this past Saturday, um, and you know, compared to Compared to Bayern, PSG celebrations were like a funeral, you know, at mm-hmm. least with the Bayern celebrations you had, you know, people throwing beer at each other, singing round. So, you know, a good result for them. Uh, overall, a poor first season for Julian Nagelsmann, though, losing to Villarreal lo- and, um, you know, not progressing into the DFB Pokal final. Yes, you win the league, but, but as you mentioned, that's something that we've just become accustomed to, Uh, You know, there was a point where in the recent uh, past where the Bundesliga was honestly my favorite league to Mm. watch. Uh, I would watch, you know, every every game. I believe it was 2017-18 when uh, Domenico Tedesco was managing Schalke. Um, You know, I was super excited about the young talents on display. But at a certain point, it just kind of becomes hard to uh, stay passionate about a league where you really know uh, every single year Bayern is going to win. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, gotten optimistic about Borussia Dortmund. And like I said, I'm not even a Dortmund fan, but, you know, being optimistic that they can beat Bayern this time. And, you know, after so many near misses, it you kind of get cynical, I think. Um, so, yeah. With that being said, though, um, you know, it, it must be said that look look around you. You've got Eintracht Frankfurt and RB Leipzig potentially uh, could be an all German uh, Europa final. And so in general, we're still seeing German teams perform well outside of Bayern uh, in Europe. But yeah, absolutely. Two back to back quarterfinals finishes. Um, I don't have the numbers on me, but I got to say I don't remember the last time that has happened for Bayern. That is a very disappointing run. Um, and obviously, VR is is a much more of a disappointment to take than Paris Saint Germain.
0: So you said something now that's really interesting, right? Because you said about PSG. Now, PSG won their tenth league title at the weekend and equaled the record in France. But yet it's soulless. I look at Manchester City. Manchester City win the league, Camp Fuller their stadium. The first game back after winning the league. And I honestly feel like, and I made this analogy on Twitter, it's the equivalent of giving a 16-year-old a Ferrari and then asking them to value it. But you rob them of any sense of achievement. You rob them of of winning something through legitimate sport and merit. You've now completely destroyed any sense of normalcy. And this is what I'm going to warn Newcastle fans about. Because if you play any game on cheat mode, it just doesn't have the same meaning whenever you win something because there's something plastic about it. And when we look at clubs like PSG and we look at clubs like City that have been financially doped to the high ends, clubs whose current success is not commensurate with were if they cut their cloth accordingly, with who they are. Clubs who, you know, City have traditionally struggled you know, up and down, League One, Championship, Premier League, yo-yo club, you know, big football club. But certainly the, what they have right now is not, is, is not as a result of legitimate sport and merits. And this kills this a little bit for fans. I'm sure there's a high for a while if you haven't been good. I'm sure it feels great to win a league title. But at some point, it loses its glory. It loses its magic. Competitive balance is really, really, really important in any sport. Right, If I'm playing against nine-year-olds and winning every week, there's there's something in that that just doesn't feel right. And so I look at this. I think it's not just a, a warning for Bayern, for football in general. If you're a Bayern Munich fan, how excited are you for your 11th league title? We are now sitting here talking about clubs and fans are disappointed at just winning the league. You see how distorted this is from reality? And what this is doing to football and what it's doing to the experience of the fan. Because the teams that are now dominating football are financially doped or either are clubs that are so dominant domestically because of the way the revenue streams are tailored in football that it's impossible to catch them. We're talking about RB Leipzig, talking about Dortmund, talking about Frankfurt. Who, Dortmund's going to lose Holland this season. They lost Sancho last season. They'll probably lose Bellingham next season. But the opposites happen at Bayern. How can anyone compete? You've got football clubs that are dependent on selling their best players to survive, to compete against a club that buys the best players in the world. I mean, it's impossible.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it is hard to, I think, stay consistently interested. I mean, I, I am a big league 1 fan, um, but I must say that I think that compared to last season – uh, when I tried to watch, really every weekend, it it has been sort of hard to stay interested. Um, when you look at the fact that it's been pretty much guaranteed since the first week that Paris Saint-Germain were going to win the title, um, so yeah, and and that's something that we're seeing with, I think, in various leagues. Um, yes, it's true that we're coming off a year, the, the previous year, which saw uh, you know various clubs end title droughts, such as Sporting. Rangers, Inter, Atletico de Madrid. Um, this year, we've got Grasshoppers set. Um, or um, they, We've got another club set to break that streak in, in, in Switzerland. Um, so you still get some examples. Union saint Gilois in Belgium. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think as well, you tend to see the difference um, in Europe, even more than domestically. You see how uh, the gulf, I think, between... Premier League clubs and a, a select big uh, elite such as Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern, Real Madrid, you know, that difference has definitely been highlighted. Um, and and yeah, I, overall, um, I think that the inequality uh, is, is also apparent in Portugal, which is my, you know, my specialty, um, the gap between the big three and the rest. Um, you, you definitely see that.
0: The difference in the likes of Portugal, you know, Scotland or whatever, that's happening for different reasons. You know, that's not happening because you've got some nation state buying a football club and um, financially doping it and distorting it from its reality. We look at Chelsea, right? Chelsea's owners, new owners are gonna have a decision to make because if they're gonna cut the cloth accordingly. They can't run the football club the way it's being run right now. Yet, in order for the football club to buy at the top of the market, they have to qualify for the Champions League. They have to be winning trophies. But they can't do that without being doped financially. Yeah, And so there's a real dilemma here. Because why would you invest billions in Chelsea for them to be a team that's going to finish 7th or 8th, back where they were pre-Obramovic 2003? You know, you only buy Chelsea for a couple of billion if you plan on keeping them where they are. But that's going to require you losing a lot of money. And, and who wants to do that? And so when you... When I want to say something, Zach, because I want to be careful. I'm not just singling out Man City or PSG or Chelsea, because as we saw with the Super League, all of Europe's top teams want to go to a format that is not related to Merit's where you're getting money based on legacy, based on your history, based on your ability to generate revenue, based on your your TV rights, based on your appeal. On t- this is insane. This this is the final. I, I In my opinion, this is the street of football, the death spiral of football. If football continues in this direction where it's, Looking for, we pursue any avenue of profit without any regard for the soul of the game, the fans, what have you, the spectacle, the, the meaning of football. Then, what you get is you're pushing fans towards the Bayern and PSG and City experience, where even the very peaks of the sport feel fake.
1: Yeah. And as well, where I think you get fan bases to accept what you, you were talking about, the sports washing, you know, teams. Uh, accepting these owners that we see with likes of Newcastle and Man City, because it gives them that shot at the top. Um, that that The fact is that few, fewer and fewer teams in Europe are having that opportunity to compete uh, atop their various leagues. And I think that's why as well, you see a lot of this in Portugal. Uh, fans will support, you know, a smaller team like Gil Vicente or... Uh, Tondela, for example, and then a bigger team such as Benfica or Porto
0: or Sporting. Yeah, I mean, look, I think football teams, football fans have been so badly let down by governance because governance, the people that are governing football, their ideas are consistent with the people that are bad actors, right? I mean, take a look at what's happening in Oldham Athletic. Right, the Athletic fans are livid They're about the relegated to the Football League. Disgraceful ownership, right? I mean, Burnley, disgraceful ownership. And you can go on and on Manchester Chelsea, you know, uh, City, Newcastle. Should these people be allowed to own these teams? I mean, it's, it's absolutely disgraceful what is being done by. The lack of legitimate governance and protecting teams from owners who have no interest in the sport, no interest in the particular club, and are bad for the sport in general. I mean, the allegations, the reason why Roman Bramwich has to give up Chelsea, none of this stuff is new. This stuff has been known forever. Yeah. I mean, none of the, obviously, there's libel issues here, but the things that are being leveled against Roman Bramwich didn't just come out. You know, when when Russia invaded Ukraine, this stuff has been known forever. You know, Saxon Shinawatra bought Manchester City. He's a war criminal. Yeah, high in Earth, are these people passing proper tests? It's a joke.
1: It is, and and absolutely, it is shameful that you know someone with the history of, for example, Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund can invest in a club. But I will say that uh, I do think that the, that the Premier League open this can of worms when they you know, created the breakaway league. Um, from that point, you know, I, I can see Newcastle fan point saying, you know, you can't, it is hard to draw the line. Uh, I don't think that Saudi Arabia should have been allowed to purchase Newcastle when you see their human rights issues, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's absolutely disgraceful, 100%. But um, from the point that the premier league, you know, oh, Open the scan of arms by creating the breakaway league and basically just you know saying greed is good, right? Back to the the famed quote from the Wall Street movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the point you opened that, I think that it, it was bound to happen.
0: Oh, there's no question. It's like you know the Premier League created this honey trap. There's no doubt about it. I mean, and as I said, the people that are running these leagues, this is consistent with their thinking. This is exactly how they think. You know, their job, they believe to do a job well is to maximise the monetization of the league without any regard of the cost for monetization, Because it's always assumed that no matter what, the fan will always pay, right? There's been so many red lines. I mean, I remember, you won't, but I remember whenever football went to Sky TV, which was in the early 90s. And it went from terrestrial television to satellite. And I remember back then, fans went nuts we will never pay for satellite TV. Of course they did, right? And the bet that they always make, bot owners always make, all these nefarious, pernicious people in football always make is that no matter what, the fan will always pay, right? Because there isn't anything logical about our love for football teams, right? And that's just the human condition. We're weird, right? We, we love things that um, don't make sense. We bond with things. We love these clubs we love, and, and, and fans do Unbelievably extraordinary things to support the football clubs and that gets exploited by people who don't share that love but share the love of money and use that as a utility to make money. Uh, I just think that, um, yes, you're correct in saying that the Premier League, look, with, with the city ownership of Newcastle, it wasn't that the Premier League held that up over the fact these people were not fit to own a football club. They were more concerned with television rights and human rights. And it wasn't exactly their moral compass being calibrated enough to say, we're not going to let these people own this team. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with protecting their financial interests. And, and other clubs wanting their financial interests is protected because the Saudis, as we know, were pirating TV, League uh, TV. Uh, and, and UAE, of course, had a huge issue with this. And so, yeah, there are no pariahs, and it's just very sad to me, Zach. There's obviously, as you would expect, envy from other leagues across Europe about the resources that are being played in the Premier League, but I honestly think this ends badly. I look at the money that's coming in. There can only be one winner. Uh, City aren't getting the level of investment they're getting to finish second. Newcastle aren't going to put that type of money in to finish second. All these teams that are being bought up by these multi-billionaires, arrogant multi-billionaires, they're not buying them to finish second, but somebody has to finish second. And I honestly feel this all ends bad.
1: And in what what context do you think that it ends bad?
0: Well, I think that what's going to happen eventually is that um, these owners are going to get bored with these teams, right? And that investment will stop these clubs, just like we see at Chelsea, right? Where we have clubs that uh, are no longer being funded, no longer capable of operating at the levels they're being operated at without having that financial input. And I think they're going to end up in big financial trouble. I I, I, I mean, if you take a look at what Abramovich is doing, Abramovich is writing off a billion and a half, right? Now, well, not everyone's going to do that. You know, and so it all depends on how this is going to get. You know, so to me, when you look at, like, I mean, even take a look at the Super League, Zach, right? Imagine you get Europe's top 20 teams in a Super League. Someone has to finish bottom of that. Right. Right. So imagine that's one of the biggest teams in the world, finishing bottom. What does that do for their brand? This is where you cannibalize yourself. This is where you have to be really, really careful about what you're getting into. And so... When do you stop becoming a – when do you lose your fan base? When do you lose everything that's important to you when you start finishing bottom of a Super League? Because somebody's got to finish bottom.
1: Yeah. No, I, absolutely. And I, I think that right now it is um, – I, I think that you have to look at a few different aspects. One, uh, the reason why – the one of the biggest reasons why there is so much, I would say, optimism and, and hope, From uh from fans you know and across all these different leagues who want to see their fans to see their team get taken over by a rich owner is because um, frankly the the spotlight I think has not been turned enough on the the oldham athletics or the burnleys Mm -hmm. right who who have had that um you know big money takeovers and who have paid the consequences and I think you know everton I would say are uh, perhaps another reason, another example, looking at what Farhad Mashiri has Mm -hmm. done. So we just haven't really paid enough attention to that. But, uh, I think that as you mentioned, everything has a tipping off point. And right now we, the, the, the decision makers, the, the, the powers that be do not really the money. And the fact that when you look at the richest clubs in Europe, uh, the majority of them are going to be premier league clubs. And, you know, fair enough. I think that is, I think, a testament to what the league has done in expanding to other parts of the world, you know, like like Indonesia, like Africa, all these different places. Mm. Um, so that in of itself, I think, is in somewhat a barrier against uh, owners getting bored, shall we say. Uh, I, I think that you have that global attraction, right, of the Premier League. So I think that is, in some ways, a barrier. But uh, there have been so many examples across Europe of these owners who really just leave their teams uh, in states of neglect. So I think that, that, you know, there is definitely a risk of uh, us reaching that tipping-off point.
0: Yeah, the first thing that springs to mind is Anzi Mukeshkla. I remember uh, Anzi getting... Massive investments, sending Atos, sending all his top players, and then the owner just goes, you know what, i bored with this. And uh, I was actually looking at their squad about two weeks ago, and they didn't have a single foreign player left. Um, and so, um, I think, mean, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Europe's you know is littered with this, where, where owners end up going, you know what, I'm not putting any more money in. We've seen it even to an extent at Monaco after the Hamas Rodriguez, after the Radimel Falcao signings. And um, the Russian owner, Ryobeliev, I think it is, um, decided. You know what? We're not doing this anymore. And um, <clears throat> and then Monaco, of course, changed their whole strategy. Uh, and and the thing is with the Premier League, I uh, I agree. But I look, re- I, I I remember Syria in the early nineties when it was the pinnacle of world football. It was an old saying: "He he'd make it, the you made it in football." Everybody wanted to be in Italy. That's where the league, where all the superstars were. It was unthinkable that Italian football would lose its place as the uh, go-to league in in world football, as the pinnacle of world football. But it did. Are you
1: making your case that that was due to opening uh, their doors up for foreign investment?
0: I, no, no, no. Uh, what I think was a couple of things. I think uh, one, there was complacency. I think two, there was corruption that came in inevitably, which follows a lot of money, right, yeah. which hurt the league. Um, and so I think there was a number of things that, uh, 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 that intersected that caused that problem. And what the, the overarching point is that this can happen. Now, I think where English football is benefits, one, is the language. Two, of course, the ubiquity of content because of the internet now, right? So this really has helped penetrate the U.S. market. Now we see Jake Paul uploading pictures with a Liverpool shirt on. This was unthinkable 15 years ago. When I, was, when I first came to the U.S., I, I football was such a peripheral sport that it was almost non-existent. I mean, I remember coming out here at sixteen, seventeen on vacation, having to run down to the local shop to buy a Seattle Post-Intelligencer to find out the result from the day before, right? And it was this tiny, tiny, tiny footnote at the bottom of the newspaper. So the what has changed is, you know, there's obviously a tremendous appetite for, for Premier League in this country. But the thing is, in any system, right, any league, The key is differentiation, right? If everyone makes 2 billion each, that devalues the 2 billion. So this is one of the things that the big teams don't like about collective bargaining. And this is one of the reasons why they were pushing really, really hard towards selling individual streaming rights abroad. Because the way United look at it is if we play Norwich, we can get 500 million people around the world to pay a dollar to watch that game. Norwich will make more money of the percentage that we give them of streaming rights than what they would make of a collective collective bargain in Premier League. But what it does do creates massive differentiation between the top and the bottom. And the question then becomes: what's the appetite of people who are wealthy to buy teams at the bottom that have no chance of competing? Yeah. You know, that's what but I question.
1: <clears throat> what I will say though is that. Uh, I think the reason, the, one of the biggest reasons why the Premier League is the biggest league in the world today, is because the fact that uh, it isn't as vulnerable, I would say, to a uh, a player departure as any other league. You know, you, we saw, I think, how the, La Liga has d- decreased in that wow factor and that popularity since the departures of Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Neymar, uh, and for the for La Liga, I don't see. I don't think there's a single player who could, you know, leave to another team, a, a Bayern Munich, Paris Saint Germain, and just, uh, you know, inc- decrease that uh, excitement. I would say. I think that that's one thing that my my dad has mentioned a lot. I don't know. A lot of people ask me, uh, do I support a Premier League team? The Answer is I do not. But uh, my dad actually does support Brentford, um, and he's mentioned that you know one of the biggest reasons why he likes. The Premier League, the most is that you know you get all these different team stories. I think that's and I, and I think he's correct. You know, it, it's more of a league that's based on these uh, collective stories more than you know tuning in to see Kylian Mbappe or tuning in to see Erling Hollande. Um For me, I think that's that's definitely one of the biggest reasons why the Premier League is king right now.
0: Well, you know, the last time a player from the Premier League won the Ballon d'Or.
1: Um. I want to say Cristiano Ronaldo.
0: Two thousand and eight, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's say in the last, I'm gonna, uh, I'll start in 1990. Okay. I'm tell you how many players in England have won the Ballon d'Or. Oh, wow. uh, Alright. Lothar Mateus, Papa Van Basten, Pajdušić, Kov, George Weah, Samer, Ronaldo, Sudan, Vivaldo, Figo. Michael Owen, two thousand and one. So you've had, and since nineteen ninety, okay, um, thirty two years you've had two players in England win the Ballon d'Or. Okay, Premier League's never had the best players in the world. Never, right? And it, when and, and when there's been a fleeting moment when they've had them, they lose them, right? Ronaldo, gone after he wins the Ballon d'Or, goes to Real Madrid. Right? So. Uh, Michael Owen went. we went to Real Madrid after that, Liverpool. So the thing is, England's model has been different. They've built it up around the stories around the clubs, which is a much more sustainable model because it protects you against what you just said. Where you're not contingent upon a particular individual to bring that stop. Look, Real Madrid and Barcelona are massive football clubs, right? Easily as big as anything in England, if not bigger, right? Um, but maybe they've got something to learn from the Premier League and marketing. I know Emilio Butragueño, for example, came out and studied uh, with the Dodgers uh, and uh, to look at U.S. marketing and how to market. I think the NFL, in my opinion, and WWE lead the world in sports marketing. So I think there's a lot to be learned from that. Uh, and I think Premier League is a much a more sustainable model because of that. Yeah. But again, billionaires are egotistical. And no one likes to finish second. I mean, what was Jeff Bezos already on the, on Twitter this morning criticizing Elon Musk? Right? <laughs> yeah. You know how they are, right? So yeah. they are buying teams to finish second, third, fourth. And what the, what is that going to do to them? You know? I yeah. mean, you take a look at what's going on at PSG. Right. I mean, not <laughs> necessarily for going crazy after going at the Real Madrid. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Anyway, I, I just I have my concerns about this what, mortal Lance.
1: I have a question. What what do you think is the club that has, you know, we've talked about a lot of clubs like Angie, have spent big and have kind of paid the price. What do you think is a club that has actually succeeded, that has paid the price after?
0: Uh, I would say Inter Milan under uh when Mourinho went into Milan. Yeah. Uh Inter Milan broke the bank essentially to get him what he wanted. Right. Moratti, before Moratti left. Then when he, that happened, Benitez comes in behind him and they have to get rid of most of their players because they've massively over financially leveraged. So um and Atomalian paid the price for a number of years for that and almost yeah. repeated it again, massively in violation of FFP. Conte had to lose his best players, as Conte, right? Yeah. So uh, to the point where it's pushed the club to borderline bankruptcy, look, Liverpool came within a whisker of going bankrupt under Hicks and Gillette. Right. right? Um, you see Leeds United... What happened at Leeds for Peter Redstale? Massively overspending, chasing the dream. Right. So, this is again where I feel fans have been let down by really poor governance because this should not be allowed to happen. And if FFP doesn't attack that, FFP is totally impotent. It's evident anyway. Right. But yeah. it was clearly written by big clubs as a barrier to keep other clubs from getting wealthy benefactors so that they wouldn't push the price of signings up, so that they wouldn't push the price of wages up and to prevent them from getting into the, the European Cup wasn't enough. So neither redoing it and trying to come up with Super League ideas and trying to come up with you know, this you know, legacy club nonsense in the Champions League. So you know, this is obviously big clubs cutting off other clubs. But I, I, I again, it doesn't matter whether you're in a league of 20 teams, if there are 20 best teams in Europe, again, like I said, someone's got to go the bottom. And I just think that this is this is the pursuit of greed will eventually cannibalize the sport. I just I don't like it.
1: Yeah. No, I, I completely agree 100%. And I think that despite the fact that the Super League seems dead in the water, I think that, you know, the, the solutions, they aren't any better. What we're seeing mm-hmm. right now with the new Champions League format the legacy spots uh it's absolutely
0: horrific I gotta say yes completely agree uh, let me ask you about um, Patino yeah. because uh looks like is going to be sacked um I want to ask you one is that fur the pattino to me when I look at the Champions League the the the, the metrics are always going to be thin right yeah. you're never gonna have massive, differentiation between... I mean, yeah, I know we had a few years ago with Barcelona, but that's rare. Most of the top teams are finally balanced. So you're going to have games where you can lose here, lose there. Because the other team has world-class quality too. So I don't think you should sack a manager because of a very narrow defeat against one of the best teams in the world, who are the record European Cup winners, you know, 12 or 13 times they've won it. Um, I don't think you should be sacked on that. Yeah. Right? Because that can happen to anybody. If you get destroyed, fair enough, right? But it seems a bit harsh to me.
1: Yeah. Look, I think that uh, I, I, for me, it is the right decision to get rid of Mauricio Pochettino. Um, and I, I was saying back in the first few months of the season that Mauricio Pochettino would be the first ever manager to win his first league title. Whilst uh, decreasing his reputation at the same time. Uh, so look, I think that going back to the going back to you know his first few months at PSG, uh, he managed to do uh, fairly well, I think, given the circumstances in Europe, uh, league on. I would say that the failure to win the title was uh, just as much Thomas Tuchel's fault as well as mm-hmm. it was Pochettino's. Um, if not more, but it's never easy you know. Taking, uh, a, taking charge of the team midway through. I also do think that um, if there's anything that we've learned these past few years is that the manager is the least of PSG's problems. Yeah. Uh, it's so hard for me to think. I, I really can't think of a single manager who goes into this PSG job and uh, comes out with his reputation better. You know, We've seen so many managers, such as Thomas Tuchel, uh, you know, have have uh, frankly a lot of struggles in Paris Saint-Germain, and then obviously going to Chelsea and winning the Champions League, and it really I think shows the dysfunction within that club. Um, and it's it's so hard to think of uh, to 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 think of a manager who can really turn that around. You know, none of these managers are miracle workers. So look, I I think that. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino, his, the failure to uh, take this team to the Champions League final, that was the goal at the start of the season, bringing in so many phenomenal players such as Lionel Messi, Jorginho uh Sergio Ramos, all these players, um, which you know didn't work out. But for me, I think that the results are part of it but also the performances. You know, PSG always have looked like a bunch of individuals rather than a cohesive unit. Uh, and, and frankly, I, I think you look at what they've failed to do on the pitch. For me, that is just as big, if not bigger, than what they've failed to win on it.
0: I hate to say this, but um, you could transpose PSG from Manchester United. The similarities are absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. It's the only... It's the only comparison I can make when I think what you see on the pitch is always a reflection of what, you see, of what goes on off it, right? And, and I, I think uh, if you have dysfunction on the pitch, it's because there's massive dysfunction off the pitch. Um, and when you're at a massive club, that has it's not when, when people talk about leaders. I almost think it's more important to have leaders off the pitch than it is on the pitch because these people who lead off the pitch that are strong, powerful individuals were. You we talk about building a team around someone, but you need to build a club around someone before you build a team around someone. You need to build a club around an ideology that can that, that is rigid, that is can that, that is not you know that is that is, that is not flexible because. What ends up happening is people don't, people start fudging change. They start, oh, we're okay. Now we can take the foot off the pedal a bit. We don't need to be so intense. And maybe you don't need to do that. when they start to not pay attention to the little details, get lazy, get complacent, and then you find yourself back to where you were. And I honestly feel the big, best clubs in the world don't do that. They have a very rigid structure that says, these are the parameters with which we work with then. These are rooms that don't get broken. And there's a reason for this. Yeah. And I and I just think that United PSG is totally aimless. They know what they want, but they don't know how to get there. And there's so many competing uh, egos inside that club where I don't feel there's any leadership. And so I think that PSG, you can win the France League having enough good players, um, you know, even giving you 70% because they have such a massive advantage. You can't win the Champions League that way.
1: Yeah. No, I, absolutely. And I think probably the two clubs where uh, I would say the, the majority of the appeal, the, the bulk of the appeal uh, as a player, with all due respect to both clubs' history and what they've won, the bulk of the appeal is the financial aspect. Because I think that every every player who's in that prime age, you know, whether you're, for example, Victor Osimen or Jude Bellingham, you know, you have been around long enough, uh, and and the bulk and, and, and a large part of your de- developmental career has been watching Manchester United, you know, going from a footballing dynasty to such a dysfunctional club that really has struggled to find any solution. Um, and and that's this, the same goes not just for players but managers as well. You know the mess you are walking into, uh, and so I think actually probably the two the two jobs where you you kind of feel like as as a manager there is just such a limited amount of stuff that you can do. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know someone like Ralph Raniak or someone like Mauricio Pochettino should should uh, be doing better absolutely. And there's a reason why they're not going to be managing their clubs next season. Uh, but with that being said, uh, you know, it really is just the tip of the iceberg and whoever is going to be uh, the manager next season, obviously we know that Eric Ten Hag will be at Old Trafford next season. Whoever's going to be at the manager, the manager at PSG uh, is walking into a-, a mess, a club who uh, may or may very well not have their best player right now, Kylian Mbappé. A club that, you know, is, is going to, I think, have a lot of, uh, shall we say, a transitional summer. I think that they are going to try to move a lot of players, but it's very hard to move them when, you know, Paris is a very attractive destination. Mm-hmm. And there are very few clubs who are going to, uh, you know, take, take a chance on their wage bill. I mean, I remember I was looking at the, uh, I think it was L'Equipe. And saying that they want to uh, move on Julian Draxler in the summer, and guess what? Less than a year ago, they gave Julian Draxler a new contract when his contract was about to run out. So it's just these kinds of moves where I think you know both PSG um, and as well as to a degree other clubs such as you know maybe even even Bayern and uh, clubs who have kind of I would say become too comfortable and to have allowed themselves to stagnate.
0: Here's the problem with the PSG model, in my opinion. When you have so much money, you buy a club like PSG and you, you say to all right, we have the money to buy anyone we want, so let's go do that. All right, Neymar, you can stay at Barcelona on 250 grand, we can come to PSG on 500, just using these arbitrary numbers. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to fund and build your project with on the basis that we are going to attract people here because we're going to pay them more than anyone else. Right. So what happens when the money no longer motivates them and they don't identify with the objectives of the football club? And they don't identify with the shirt. And they don't identify with the fans. The club means nothing to them. The project is great, you know, but you know what? I'm kind of bored here. Right, And this is, when if you look at uh, top clubs, a lot of times players go to top clubs uh, and turn down more lucrative offers elsewhere because they want to play for that football club. They want to play for that manager. They want to play for those fans. They want to win trophies. These are all the non, the the intangibles that aren't on a contract, right? That are so much more than just currency, money. People go here because of uh, things that motivate them beyond see, beyond the rack and pants. And this is the problem. So because they are so desperate to play for that particular team. And if you look at teams in their prime, they don't attract players solely on the ability to pay them. There are so many other reasons. And this is why you need people working for your football club that understand it Forensically, so they know how to sell the club to a player. And the objectives to a player... The other thing that happens at clubs like PSG that cause massive disillusionment is when you have no structure, promises are constantly broken. Right? I mean, Paul Pogba, I'll give you a clear example. Paul Pogba, Brink, is brought to Manchester United, told we're going to build a team around you. But then you need to sort of lose interest halfway through it. And don't do it. And then they, the player feels lied to. And then the player doesn't feel any trust with the club. Thiago Silva is booted out of PSG because he's told he's too old. And then they send Sergio Ramos. Right? This is what I'm saying. You break these promises to the players, then there's a trust issue, a commitment issue. And then what you get is you get players that look like they're being conscripted to play for the club and are desperate to leave.
1: Yeah. And Phil, going back to our original point, I mean, two seemingly the two. Uh, Wantaway superstars that could very well be on the move this summer are Kylian Mbappe and Robert Lewandowski. Mm-hmm. Look at their leagues. Look at how many times they have won the league. And, you know, at a certain point that does not move the needle anymore when yeah. you've become so accustomed uh, to winning it, I think. So, yeah, I mean, this, it, it goes back to the players on the, who are, you know, getting the biggest checks and who are getting the biggest trophies, even them, I think, uh, absolutely are affected. And I think there's a reason why uh, they may very well want to try a new adventure in a more competitive league like La Liga this summer. All
0: right. Let me move quickly on to uh, Champions League. Liverpool, uh, City, uh, uh, City, of course, play Real Madrid. By the time is because uh, this first leg will be been played in all uh, But does Guardiola need to win the Champions League with Manchester City? Um, to I don't want to say Samantha's legacy because his legacy as a coach to me is Samantha he won't, he'll always be one of the best coaches in the world but to really justify his existence at City in some sense because Pellegrini and Mancini have won the league for City Pep Guardiola wasn't brought there to win the league he was brought there to win the European Cup that's what City are desperate before that's what PSG are desperate before that's what the big 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 boys that's what they want So does he need to win that European Cup to really justify the investment and everything else he's been given?
1: I don't think so. I think that Pep Guardiola has already justified it by looking at the fact that, you know, coming into his uh, appointment, um, the Premier League was an incredibly... Uh, competitive league, and obviously it still is. But uh, Manchester City winning the title in uh, 2018, 2019, obviously losing it to Liverpool uh, the year after, and then winning it again. Uh, there's and and they look they obviously still not finished yet, but uh, they do look like they are in a good position uh, to win the Premier League this season. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, that is an incredible. Uh, rain and and frankly, I think that the answers about whether Guardiola can make it in England, you know, they they have obviously been answered. Oh yeah, of course, um, of
0: course. So
1: What's you credit do credit? have to, so so you do have to give him credit. With that being said, uh, I I do think that um, for for me, the Champions League, winning the Champions League, I'd say it's it's the difference between um, between Peps time in England being, you know, considered very good as well, and and between becoming legendary, you know, something that will never be forgotten. For me, if he were to leave, uh, I know there's reports that he's going to take over the Brazil job after the World Cup, you know, if he were to leave uh, after failing to do so, I definitely think there would be a lot of disappointment from not just uh, City fans, but from, you know, neutrals as well, who would have expected, him to, you know, obviously break that European curse. Uh, so, you know, looking at the investment, y- yes, it, it would leave a bit of a sour taste if he were to fail. Uh, but with that being said, I, I, I definitely think that uh, he has already justified the investment.
0: Um, well, yeah. okay, so he justified the investment by winning the league, fair enough. Um, but he takes over a Bayern team from Upankes. Eupanquez had already won the travel, right? Won yeah. the league, won the European Cup. Pep Guardiola never matched that success. Yes. He was never able to take Bayern to a European Cup. So has reached heights that Pep Guardiola couldn't with Bayern. All right? Right. So then he comes to Manchester City. And as much as City enjoy winning the league, and I think it's a fantastic achievement to win the league, especially with how good Liverpool have been, and I think that that is very, very difficult. And it was we also just said earlier in this podcast, the metrics between the top teams is always going to be really narrow. So you can lose when you look at them against Spurs in that semi-final. They should have been in the final. Thinnest of margins. Raheem Sterling scores that offside goal right at the very last minute during the final. Who knows what happens? Um. So, you know, football's filled with moments like that. I mean, you need to win a European Cup one penalties and they win another one with two last minute goals. Right? It's always like this. So it can go that way against you, and no matter what, to me, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp are the two best coaches in the world. I, I in my opinion, I, I, I. I'm, someone may disagree. I might have better. Uh, uh, Opinion on that, and that maybe will be true. But to me, I think I would put Klopp just slightly ahead because I think that for him, he hasn't had the resources that City have had, and he's done an unbelievable job to get this Liverpool team from where they were to where they are, and the consistency. But we're splitting hairs, so I do think you know he's a revolutionary coach, done an unbelievable job, no question about it. But I just feel for him, he needs to win that European Cup with City. in order for City to sit back and say, he brought us something we didn't already have.
1: Absolutely, and I also think that that that's part of the reason why. That's you know part of that is because after Pep, City are still going to be able to attract uh, the most exciting managers in the world. Right, managers are going to want to come to City, and they are going to have a chance to do something that Pep couldn't. Uh, so for a manager who is considered you know, one of, if not the greatest manager in football history, uh, I definitely think it would be disappointing, especially when uh, so much has been spent on Pep kind of players. You know, I think that uh, for for me, one thing that this season has exposed is the fact that City do not have uh, the deepest squad in the world anymore. I I honestly think that Liverpool have a deeper squad than them, but uh, you look at both teams' transfers and you look at City spending £100 million on Jack Grealish, who's been, you know, with all due respect, one of the most disappointing signings of the entire season. You compare that to Liverpool, who have spent probably the same amount signing, you know, Costa Simicas, Ibrahima Konate, and Luis Diaz over the mm-hmm. past, past few transfer windows, you know. And I think that that approach is something that... Uh, that city have been missing. I do think that, that some of the problems that we were previously discussing with the likes of you know United uh, and and PSG, I think that some in some ways it applies to uh, City's players. And I think that you know perhaps a a moneyball approach, or I don't I don't know if you can call it moneyball anymore from from Michael Edwards and Liverpool, but I think uh, that sort of approach would definitely give City a new um a new depth about them and I, I think that's that's another reason why uh pep doesn't get as much sympathy sympathies because frankly he he sanctioned these signings you know he chose to bring in these players for these amounts and neglect other positions such as left back um and and so much of city's disappointments in europe has been really due to Pep's constant needless tweaking, you know, overthinking. Uh, we saw that just, obviously we saw that uh, eight years ago when, uh, when Bayern were thrown out of the Champions League by Real Madrid. Um, so, we're, you know, we were used to that. Um, but, and, and we saw that last last year with Pep basically not playing a defensive midfielder in the Champions mm-hmm. League final. So I think for me, that's the most disappointing thing. You know, Pep just constantly uh, tweaking with something and and really uh, causing City to overthink things.
0: City, Real Madrid, of course, I want to get your predictions on this because uh, really interesting. Obviously, Real Madrid, we've seen against PSG, we see against Chelsea, they're never there. Um, Benzema back-to-back hat-tricks. Um, um, what was really interesting, I was looking at the Real Madrid-Chelsea game, the stanford, uh, stanford Brits. Green Benzema had more touches in the right-back position than anywhere else on the field. Right. So when I look at this game, I'm looking at City, no Cancelo, who is suspended. Kyle Walker looks like he's injured. Vinicius Jr. is in good form. So you wonder who's going to play right-back. Yeah. Um they're, of course, they're, 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 um, there's when I look at the uh, Real Madrid, Modric in fantastic form as well. Um, Casemiro most likely out, or Casemiro is out, so that's going to mean big gaps for De Bruyne. So look at this again and I'm going, it's going to be really thin to me, but uh, who are you going to take for it?
1: Man, I am i got to say, I'm going to go with Real Madrid. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot. I, this couldn't go either way. Uh, there's really not much between these two sides, but I'm going with Real Madrid. I think that they have the most decisive players in both boxes, be that uh, Thibaut Courtois. I think he's playing like uh, one of, if not the best goalkeeper in the world right now, uh, as well as uh, the, you know, consistent performances of Karim Benzema and Vinicius Jr. in the final third, looking at that midfield, you know, even with, I think you said Casemiro missing out, you still have uh, the likes of Federico Valverde and Eduardo Camavinga, two young guns who I think are going to want to sh- step up and show that, you know, we are ready too to, to uh, compete and with with the likes of Toni Kroos and Luka Modric and challenge for that spot. Uh, I think they've, they've definitely done so this season. And I, I expect them to do so on this stage. So I'm going with Real Madrid. I think that city have struggled a bit in recent weeks. um, And, and we've seen, we saw that with, um, you know, recent games such as Atletico Madrid, such as, you know, other league matches. Uh, I think that Real are trending in a better position right now. And, of course, you have their, you know, European mentality and their uh, heroics and, and their confidence in this competition. You know, they're a team that never knows how to quit. Uh, so, yeah, I am going with Real for uh, this one.
0: I think another slight advantage for Real Madrid is they only need one point And they're the last five games to win the league where Liverpool and City are locked in this tight neck and neck race where... Their focus, there's, there's so many other focuses, and um, you know, we think where Real Madrid can put all the focus now in the Champions League, I think that gives them a slight advantage. Uh before we go, one to talk to you about Liverpool Villarreal, Real? Yeah. Real uh, have been unbelievable, right? Again, was looking a lot at them. Most of their goals, they concede the second half. Uh first half, very strong, hard to break down. Uh, and you know, we all know, Ma. Patores, they're the, the top players. Um, I think um, it's going to be a very difficult game for Liverpool. They're obviously the favorite, but it's a very team. Of course, weirdly lost home away to United but also beat Villarreal, or beat Bayern Munich, beat Juventus. Uh, it's going to be a difficult game for Liverpool.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that Villarreal are a team that can cause them problems, and and part of that is you know, what we mentioned with Real to a degree. I think that confidence, confidence in uh, one, I think, you know, knowing that Unai Emery has an unparalleled European record, I think, uh, knowing that Villarreal, the fact that they've already beaten the likes of Bayern and Juve, you know, and also the fact that, uh, frankly, they are playing with house money, you know, uh, they they did not expect to get this far. So at, at, that, at this point, you know, they don't have too much to lose um, and... One thing I will say, definitely check out uh, my recent interview with Diego Forlan for his advice uh, to Villarreal players uh, going into this game. (laughs) And and he basically said what I said. Just, you know, he doesn't have any advice. It's just uh, go out here and enjoy the moment. And that's the number one thing. You know, look at these players. Look at where they were just a few months ago, just a few years ago. Giovanni Lo Celso a few months ago. Was a benchwarmer at Tottenham. Uh, Etienne Capoue was in the Championship. Dani Parejo and Francis Coquelin were basically gift wrapped by their uh, rivals, Valencia. Um, you know, Sergio Rier, another uh, like Juan Foyth, another, another Tottenham reject. Shall we say uh, to so to compare these players where they were just a few years ago and where they've gotten to. Uh, it is absolutely incredible. It's something that I'll never forget.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh looking forward to these games. Zach, thank you so much for doing us as always, brother. Don't forget, check this guy out, Zach Bluey. Uh and also at breaking the lines at BTL. Uh fantastic stuff, fantastic knowledge. And uh always great to have you on, brother. Have a great have a great afternoon, Zach. Take it easy, mate.
1: Take it easy.
0: So,